do I fear God more or do I fear man? Do I care more about what God thinks or what men think? And, and something that you've brought up here is here's Jesus clearly beginning to question the authority and the legitimacy of those that look good, sound good, have the right positions in society. And have he's the knowledge, yeah, all the, all the things, all the check marks. He's like, they're wrong. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Super excited because I have a new guest. It's been a while since I've had a brand new first time guest, which means we get to hear a little bit more uh, story on the front end uh, before we dive into the scriptures. But I get to have Tyler Smith as a guest. How are you doing? Man, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So uh, listeners of the podcast will recognize the last name. There's other guests that I have with the same last name. We got It's a common last name. <laughs> very common. But you happen to be kind of connected and familiar with these other two guests. So we got Granger and Parker and Tyler. So tell me a little bit about the family dynamics of the Parker or the Parker Granger Tyler Smith brother kind of Yeah, so life. I'm Granger's the oldest, I'm the middle and Parker is the youngest. There's all kinds of psychologists that talk to us about the middle child, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, you seem to be doing pretty good. Yeah, but we got a, a really good brother dynamic. Um, you know, Parker is probably the one that when me and Granger are button heads, he brings us back to reality. <laughs> he's the peacekeeper. He's the peacekeeper. We, are, If we're arguing, we kind of look at Parker and say, who's right? I'm right, right? <laughs> but he's he's really good at not saying who's right. He just kind of brings it back to, you know, some sort of normalcy. Yeah. So uh, I, I would love to I'd love to dive into a little bit of your history with uh, the scriptures and your walk with the Lord. But first, tell me a little bit about your role in the Yee Yee world. What is what is your kind of yeah? There's this dynamic, and so what's your role, and how do you, yeah how do you orchestrate things and play a role in all this? Yeah. So Granger, this could be long. I'm going to try to keep this short, but I was. Um, I, I was big into football. I was playing football, and I went to play in college at Rice University. And um, I was watching Granger do music, and um, kind of navigating his his way through that that tough world of, mm-hmm. of trying to make a name for himself and get fans and get attention from industry people and labels and management. And um, I felt like at a certain point when I, I ended up graduating from college and I went to do um, a commercial real estate banking job. And, um, and did you study business in school? I, I studied economics. Economics, okay. And so it kind of seemed like the natural next step. All my buddies were going to do like investment banking or commercial real estate and that path. And so that was the the logical next step for me. But in the back of my mind, I had a passion for music and and um was watching my brother kind of, like I said, navigate his way. And, and um, I felt like I could do a better job than some of his team members at mm. the time. If he, he didn't really have many. So right. I, I kind of just jumped in. I quit my my job, uh, gave it a year, put in my two weeks, and then kind of just went on the road with Granger selling merch, tour managing, managing, booking shows, kind of doing all of it from ground zero. 
and uh, did that for a while and uh, many years. And then we finally started um, having some success, um, ended up signing with a record label and then having a number one song and kind of the rest is history. But um, during that time, we um, we started this company that is now called Yee Apparel. In about 2015, we trademarked Yee and we officially made it a, a limited lab in LLC um, in 2015. And and then shortly after that, Parker was about that time graduating from college and he kind of wanted to do the mm-hmm. same thing I did. He was like, I'm going to go back to Dallas and do real estate because that's what my buddies were doing. Me and Granger convinced him to come with us, um, which was a lot of faith on his part because mm-hmm. we were still, Yee Yee, his music was doing well, but Yee at the time didn't exist. We just started it. So Because you're basically selling t-shirts, hats at concerts. Yeah, t-shirts and hats that said Granger's name, but then once Yee Yee was a thing, we started putting that on shirts and then we kind of separated it so to speak from Granger and the music to be its own thing that could stand the test of time that maybe one day we could pass on to our kids and that sort of thing. So mm. brought Parker on, um gave him the CEO title. Well, that's um, fun. Fresh out of college, fresh, yeah. CEO of a CEO company. CEO of a company. Yeah, that's kind of funny looking back, but he he's done an incredible job. And um, so, yeah, so my role has been music manager slash uh, now he's doing preaching. So I guess I'm a preacher's manager. Uh, he's an author. Tour, yeah. So I manage all that kind of the business stuff in Granger's world and then also founded with Granger the Yee company. Mm-hmm. And then Parker's doing uh, the CEO role, so yeah, I kind of, I kind of have my hand in just kind of a lot of different things, right? So you're the middle brother; you're you're holding it all together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but one of the things that I enjoy about you is the time that I've gotten to spend with you, hearing your particular story. Uh, like you, you've had quite a journey when you think about spiritually and just, I wouldn't say professionally, but just in the way that you. You are intentional about everything you do. You're very intentional uh, down to the amount of grams of food you might eat in a day or the sequence of events that you commit yourself to, the books that you read. And so to hear a little bit more about your journey with the Bible, I think will be encouraging to some. And, And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. If you can think back to your earliest memories of the Bible in your life, like what do you remember? And then kind of take us on a journey of how the Bible has kind of shown up throughout your life and where it is today mm-hmm. in your life. So we grew up going to church, um, um, you know, raised in a Christian household, um, both mom and dad, strong believers. And um, we we kind of, uh, I'm just trying to remember, be careful with what I say if mom watches this. <laughs> <laughs> she might have a different opinion. But, you know, we were in we were in different churches growing up, um, bouncing around a little bit. But mom would say that we were pretty, fairly consistent at going to church. Okay. But growing up, I didn't really, you know, you know, it's hard to pay attention when you're a young kid in church. You, you, it goes For over sure. your head. You don't know what's going on. But I think as a parent, just having having you there. Mm. Um, is a big win. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up going to church, but I, I never, um, I never really totally gave my life to Christ until probably a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. So you grew up around church and in that culture. And I mean, growing up in Texas, that's an easy thing to do. That's, 
there's a normal component of being in the South, in the American South, to being church folk, mm-hmm. right? And being around it and just kind of going, yeah, I, I basically believe that. And so when you say up until about two years ago, you weren't weren't committed, you weren't walking. So what was the catalyst there for a transition? And then like, what's the difference now versus your, your life before? I think a lot of it, you know, it's every, everybody's situation is different, you know, for Granger, as you know, he'll, he'll, he'll point you to the exact time of day, the the Mm -hmm. road he was on, the, um, the sermon he was listening to when he was reborn and totally committed with me. I I, I haven't had that eureka moment. You know, it's been, it's been a daily process Mm -hmm. of, of taking some of those things like you were saying of of being very disciplined in my work ethic and, and being intentional about getting into my bible every day and and you know god's grace and you know god willing he he has slowly changed my heart mm-hmm. um you know that's that's for me trying to pray every day that you know change change my desires to your desires and and change my heart and and it's still hard every day but i you know i'm always reminded of you know his mercies are are new every morning mm-hmm. um, because I still sin every day. I still, but I still wake up and, and try my best every day to get get in the Bible and right. and uh, you know ask forgiveness and and to keep leading me on the path, the narrow path that He wants me on. Yeah. Well, and what what I love about that is you've identified that in the New Testament you have two examples of the journey people are on to recognize who Christ is. Paul. The Apostle Paul has this very uh, dramatic uh, experience on the Damascus Road, and Christ appears to him, and it's boom. He knows the timestamp. It was this dramatic event, and he did a 180, and that was that. No turning back. Then you have the Apostle Peter, and Peter's journey is much more gradual, and over time, he just comes to a realization. Even though there were plenty of opportunities prior, it just... It was this slow, gradual process to when he he finally arrives at, oh, you are you are the Christ. Mm-hmm. But then we see even after that, it doesn't mean that he's he's locked in. There are times where he struggles. There's times where he wrestles with doubt. There's times where he will distance himself from even being associated with Jesus, and then he'll he'll return. And and so you see two different uh, templates basically, and you can yep. see that with with you and Granger, which is really yeah. really cool. And I love I love just diving into the disciples and and relating mm. to you know I you know Paul like you said is similar to kind of Granger, but I relate a lot to Peter yeah with with Peter's you know leadership his personality, but then also like you said he denied Christ three times like he still failed, which which gives you a, a, like a human element like even if this guy was failing yeah in the presence of Jesus like. I'm a, I'm doing okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to beat myself up too much about it. Yeah. Well, and and just the little that I've gotten to know you, there is a lot of similarity between you and Peter cuz he's like if he's convinced of something, he's like then why wouldn't we do it? Like let's just 100% all in. Let's go. Yeah, and, he, in the chosen episode, I don't know if you've seen that, <laughs> yeah. but there's a moment where he's like, "Let's go right now, Jesus." And Jesus is like, "Chill." Yeah. On my time, and that's, it's all good. That's but he's very like, much what go. I've seen in you. You're like, okay, let's. If we've decided this is what it is, let's just go do it. All in or nothing. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really cool. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what your time in the Word looks like on a on a regular basis. What I know that you just hit a milestone 
Uh, you just got to, you, you had set a goal of finishing the old Testament in a year right. and you hit your goal early. Yeah. So what does it look like for you to, to kind of dedicate yourself and then discipline? What, what is the, the practice? What is the regularity? Where do you do well, it? How often? It started probably in 2017 or 2018. I was living with Parker, my little brother at the time. And so I would get up at, at that time, you know, I'd get up. I, I didn't have a set time of waking up. I'd get up at whenever I got up, 8, 8.30, 9, 7, whatever it was that day. And I found each time I got up, either I saw his car leaving to go to work or his car was already gone. And so the competitor in me is like, he's got a head start on the day <laughs> I was sleeping. And so I started asking him, like, what are you doing? Like, and he was like, well, I get up, I have my coffee, I, I journal a little bit, I'll read and I'll do these kind of like personal development things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, what are you doing? Cause I want to start doing that. So I started getting up early and doing that. And then I got, I got deep into like the personal development space and, and getting up every day at 5 a.m. and mm-hmm. then having my super strict regimen of, you know, my, my self-help book that I'd get into or journal or write notes and all these, and then exercise early, mm-hmm. do cold showers and all these things are great. Um, but eventually, long story short, that kind of turned into, okay, God's giving me these desires and this ambition to do these things. Am I really using these for Mm -hmm. him and his glory or Mm -hmm. me? And so I was like, okay, what can I take from this, but do this for him? So it started with me just like, first thing I need to do in the morning, let's get in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm not going to get into a a wealth book of how to make money, right. you know, to each their own. That's great. You know, be, be learning and growing every day. But for me, it was like, let me start with the Bible, the most important thing. So this past year, I have goals every year. A lot of them again, were like about self, like how much money can you make? How much, hmm. you know, what kind of um, shape can you get in? What, you know, these sort of things. And I was like, again, most important thing is, is getting in the word. So I'm going to make a goal to read, the entire Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I'd already finished the New Testament. Okay. But um, I wanted to start, like I said, I just wanted to to build a foundation before I started doing some sort of reading plan. I just wanted to tell people, like, I've read the whole Bible. Like, start there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just finished the Old Testament, like, last week. It, right was, it, was, it was tough, but the process was still implementing that early morning mm-hmm. making sure that i'm um you know because it's kind of everybody's still sleeping before the work day starts it's kind of your time so that was the best time for me to do it because there was no distractions so yeah. i did three pages a day and i missed a few days in there but three pages a day pretty much for you know every day and and if it and ended it like on a cliffhanger would you turn the page and grab a little off that fourth page or there was not many cliffhangers for me in the Old Testament because <laughs> I didn't understand a lot of it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so it, it so it was hard because I I was focused on just getting through it, which I shouldn't. I should have been trying a little more to understand it, but again, it was just like get through this. Yeah, it's better. To, you know, as bad as that sounds. Yes, yeah, and then go back. But you're in it and you're reading yeah. it, and that's that's a win. Yeah. Uh, any advice that you'd give to people, you know, for those sections of the old testament that are difficult to kind of navigate whether that's you know various portions of leviticus or long lists of numbers and uh names like how did you do you just 
hunker down and get through it because you're you're just disciplined yeah. and you're like, I'm just going to yeah. do it. I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. I hunkered down and did it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't expect every morning to just be like, you know, to understand everything and, and just... I, I knew that there was going to be, this was, I'm a beginner here. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm very, you know, new in my yeah. faith. I'm new in like, especially reading the Old Testament. So I knew I, at the back of my mind though, the whole time I was like the New Testament, I'm going to, you know, okay. just keep going, keep going <laughs> yeah. and I'll get to the New Testament the and I'm going to be, I was so excited for that. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, and one of the things that podcast listeners here like to know, and this started actually with uh, your older brother, the cadence or sequence of events in the morning for you. Are you a coffee guy? Yeah. Do you brush your teeth before coffee or after your coffee? I do it before because I'll oh, wake man, up. You Smith boys. Brush teeth right off the bat, you know, get that bad yeah, get, taste, get, that bad breath out of the way. Then I'll drink like 20 ounces of water. Mm-hmm. And then while I'm doing that, I'll be making the coffee and getting ready. And so, and then I get the coffee and I come in here and, I don't do it just immediately. It's about 30, 45 minutes after I wake okay. up. So, you know, okay, after so a page or two begun. of the Bible, then I'll sip it. And, okay. I, and I don't drink at all, just like that first few sips. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely in the mi- minority. I'm a immediately wake up, drink a big glass of water, make my coffee, and then go sit with my Bible, drink through it, and then go brush my teeth. But that makes sense. Man, more people on this podcast are brushed first. And I just that minty taste but but for you like it makes sense because it's not immediate like you brush your teeth right away drink your water then mm-hmm. get to your coffee after a little while yeah you're not diving right in so the minty fresh is probably wore off by the time you get there yeah so that makes sense okay yeah. i don't feel so bad <laughs> yeah well we are we came here to take and read uh, the scriptures we are making our way ever so steadily through the gospel of mark and and since you're a first-time guest, I'll give a as best I can a recap of what has occurred so far. So here we are in the Gospel of Mark. We understand that this particular book of the Bible is a product of Peter's preaching. Right? Go, Peter. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. That's right up your alley. And and it's understood that he was in Rome, and he was teaching and preaching in Rome to the church in Rome, and he was getting ready to leave. And before he 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 left they asked him to give like record all of his teachings about jesus before he left because they they wanted to have that and so john mark who was a companion of his uh took down his teaching and collected it in what we have here as the gospel of mark so we understand that this is based on the eyewitness account of peter the apostle as he uh, walked with the lord and so we have this. It's the shortest and the earliest of the gospel accounts. So it's the most compact. It's the most kind of action-packed. Like you, you'll see the word immediately occur more in this book of the Bible than anywhere else. And it's like immediately they did this, immediately did this. Then they went here, and immediately he said this. And it's just very kind of fast-paced. Uh, some other things to note, the, the entire thing kind of builds to a crescendo in chapter 8 when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. So there's this kind of buildup of the first eight chapters leading to that point, and Jesus is going around teaching and preaching and driving out demons and healing people and uh, performing all kinds of miracles, calming the storm when he's on the boat. And there's all these things that occur. And in each of these instances, what we're trying to understand or what he's trying to clearly communicate 
is that he has a very particular authority in this world that's unlike anyone else. People will say when he teaches, wow, he teaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes teach. Because the scribes, they simply repeat other people's teachings. Mm-hmm. But this Jesus, he teaches as though it's it's his authority that accompanies that teaching. Then they're seeing him cast out demons and go, well, he's got authority over the demonic, over the non-physical spiritual realm. And then he's he's casting out sicknesses, and it's like, whoa, he has authority and power over human bodies. Then he's calming the storm with just a, you know, a few words, and it's like, wow, even the winds and the wave obey him. And, and so they're seeing all these different spheres, the, the seen, the unseen, the physical, the, the big, the small, like in every realm, he has authority. When he teaches, he has authority. And this is unlike anything we've ever seen. So there's that component going on. There's also this component with Jesus that there was an expectation in the Jewish world that a Messiah which simply means anointed one, was prophesied in the Old Testament. So in your time in the Old Testament, you may have kind of seen a few times where, man, there's this reference to one who was going to come or that, that God's anointed one would come. And there was this expectation of the Jews at the, during this day that this Messiah would come and God would fulfill all of his promises and this Messiah would overthrow the Roman government. This Messiah would be a military leader like David, that he would uh, rule with wisdom like Solomon, and that he would kind of make everything go back to the glory days of, of David and Solomon when the nation of Israel was the top in the world. And so they're, they're just can't, they can't wait that when the Messiah comes, no more Caesar. Like he's going to come in and he's going to build an army and he's going to go overthrow and it's going to be the greatest military political victory ever. And so when he comes in and he starts to to perform these these tasks and these miracles and these signs and he starts preaching about the kingdom of God coming and yet he's not amassing an army and he's he looks kind of maybe in their day like he's not even like a military leader mm-hmm. and they're going, what? I don't understand. And so even for his disciples, for them, it took time for them to realize, okay, he is the Messiah because they had this category of what the Messiah was going to be like and he didn't fit it. Yeah. And so it took them even time of over and over seeing these miracles perform and they're like, okay, I finally get it. Okay, sweet. So then the other Jewish community, the rest of, you know, as he's teaching, preaching, going around there, they know there's something different, but they're just not sure they can believe that he's actually the Messiah because their expectations are of something totally different. So it's interesting as the, the gospel of Mark is, is being laid out, Mark ultimately through Peter's teaching is trying to prove that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he is the one that was prophesied about, uh, or in the Greek version of, so Messiah is a, a Hebrew word, the Greek version of that same word is Christ. So when we say Jesus the Christ or Jesus Christ, it's referring to that same idea of Jesus the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So same concept. And so that's where we've got, come so far. And he's now in, in where we are in, in chapter 12. He's been in Jerusalem now. He's, he's kind of made this journey and he knows that his end is near. He knows that he's about to go to the cross. He knows that's, that's how this ends. 
And so he's been in, in Jerusalem for a few days. He's visited the temple a few times. And so he's been interacting within the temple uh, over the last several passages of scripture we've looked at. And it's all kind of one continuous visit in the temple. And so when we pick up to read in chapter 12 today, he's still kind of in uh, that area and he's still in the temple area. Cool? You feel caught up? Yeah. Okay. That was a very quick recap. I'm sure I left some things out. So that's great. Uh, we'll do our best. And and just so everybody knows, uh, Tyler and I prayed before we got on the podcast. I think it's huge when you go to read the scripture to begin by just asking the Lord to reveal things. This is a spiritual book. This is not a human product only. We understand it's inspired that God inspired human authors to write this down and that his spirit today illuminates for us understanding, meaning, and uh, and the like. So we prayed, we asked the Lord, and so we're going to take this scripture and read it because we believe it to be the very word of the creator of the universe. And so we come expectantly. All righty, I'm in the ESV translation of the Bible. Do you know what translation you're in? NIV. Rock and NIV, perfect. So if you see things like when I'm reading and there's a different word used, sometimes that's a good indicator that, you know, maybe we can hunker down and, and wrestle with why did they translate it this way versus that way. That's a good okay. way to start. And we're going to read it, and we're first of all going to try to understand what it says. Then we're going to wrestle with what does it mean for the people there in that moment and also the first recipients of this gospel, like when this is being written, how did they receive it? What does this mean to them? And then we'll wrestle with the significance it, it is for us today. Okay. Okay. All righty, here we are. Mark chapter 12 will be in verses 35 through 37, three short verses. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And so we've got this short little passage of scripture where Jesus now. So what's interesting about this in the context is throughout the rest of chapter 12 and even in early 11, he has been in the temple or in Jerusalem and the scribes, the elders of the community, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these different kind of religious leaders have been coming to him to test him. Yeah. And he is in different ways responded and fielded their testing very masterfully. Now he changes course and he is now teaching uh, and he's now putting them on the defensive because he says, Jesus taught in the temple. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? He's now asking questions that he's giving them kind of some rhetorical food for thought. How could this be the case? So it's interesting. Uh, when you look at this, what, you know, understanding what it says, it's helpful to kind of, if you can paint the scene, like who's there, where are they? Yeah. Uh, those different individuals, what is that like? So kind of basically, what do we see here? Yeah, so yeah, that would be my first question is, so we're in the temple courts, right? Jesus is teaching. Um, but then David comes in. So so who? 
Yeah, so they're in the temple courts, and Jesus is teaching. We don't know who the audience is. Okay. Uh, it comes off of another passage where he had been engaging with the scribe that came and questioned him. Right before that, uh, this, when the scribe arrived, he saw several others kind of arguing amongst themselves based on what teachers had or Jesus had been teaching. Uh, we had right before that some Sadducees. Right before that, uh, we had some Pharisees and Herodians. Right before that, we had elders and scribes. So there, there seems to this scene. If you kind of pictured in your mind's eye, he's in the temple court. It's probably filled with little pods and pockets of people. It's a pretty, right. pretty widespread area. So he's in there, and there's all these little kind of sections of people, and they're maybe murmuring back and forth. Maybe they're arguing with each other. But you can kind of see this this large area with just spatterings of people. And then he now, after these different people come to him and test him and do this different, you know, try to challenge him, that he then goes on the offensive. And then how does David come into their equation here? So he is, he is bringing up and asking them about David, who is long been long dead, right? but is still a very key figure and specifically a figure that is connected to the Messiah because David received a covenant promise that he's, he would always have a descendant on the throne so that there in, in his kingship, he would never be without a descendant on the throne. So is Jesus here saying this is what David declared? Yeah, that J, he's, he's bringing David into the, the, the conversation and he's also bringing the scribes because the scribes, he's saying, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? How can they say that, right? That the anointed or the Messiah is the son of David. And then he says, because David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So he's he's drawing out a conundrum that they're going to have to wrestle with if they've put so much stock in the idea that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. And yet at one point through the Holy Spirit, David said to basically, he spoke to the Messiah, right? He said, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies. He's essentially saying, if the, if the Messiah is a descendant of David, and yet David can interact with the Messiah and submit to the Messiah, then there must be something about our assumptions as to who the Messiah is that's that's different than what is currently held. Because the scribes are, are suggesting that uh, the Messiah would be this this long-come descendant, but would possibly be subservient to David or something of that nature. And so that's what it seems like is happening is Jesus is is trying to bring them into a, a conundrum like, what are the assumptions that you have about the Messiah? And he's trying to show them that whatever assumptions they have are probably wrong, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. I mean, we don't have a lot to go on here. Uh, we know that if we were to look, I don't know if yours has this, like a footnote or a reference to that quotation, the Lord said to my Lord. So if I look in mine, I'm looking here in verse 36, it looks like it's a cross-reference to Psalm 110. 
and it's it's quoted a few other times in the scripture. But and so we have out of the Psalms as as David is singing or praying that there's a point at which he the Lord said to my Lord is a reference to this kind of layering of authority that David is now in submission to this Messiah, even though this Messiah is a descendant of his. And David would have held um, a higher a, pos- a position of authority within the Jewish world. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he's long dead, there's still this kind of um, reference back to him and his lineage and his authority. And he's he's drawing into and yeah, he's drawing out this possible conflict with some of their assumptions about who the Messiah would be. So the or authority that the Messiah would have. So they say at the end, the large crowd listened to him with delight. So is that assuming that they believed him, what he was saying? Yeah, it seems like they favorably like whatever he said mm-hmm. and and pointed out about the scribes and their understanding of the Messiah and then what he pointed out that there's there's kind of a maybe some some faulty logic in their thinking that they appreciated his teaching. Yeah. And now we understand the audience is a great throng. So he's in the temple court and there's a huge crowd now that's amassed around him. So when he gets up to teach you know, I was, you know, when we first started, I was like, imagine these pockets of people. So it's very likely that as these different tests are happening, all all eyes are now on him, and there's this huge throng of people gathered to hear him teach, and he's he's now beginning to he's no longer on the defensive, he's now on the offensive, and he's going to start to show the assumptions that you may have or that you've been taught to have by these scribes, which are kind of experts in the law and the Old Testament they may have some things wrong. Yep. Because if if the Messiah is a descendant of David, but David himself declared that the Lord said to my Lord, so the, David himself is submitted to and identified the Messiah as his Lord, then maybe what we understand about this, the God's kingdom, the authority of God's kingdom, and this Messiah, maybe it's not what you guys think it is which falls in line with everything that's happening in this gospel where he's trying to help to correct maybe some mismanaged expectations around who they're expecting is going to come. So some cool stuff. It's a very short little snippet. I'm tempted to go into the next passage, but I was kind of reading ahead a little bit. It's like, okay, is there anything else there? (laughs) And he starts to warn against the scribes, which is, I mean, throughout he will, one of the things you see about Jesus in his trajectory, in his public ministry, when he starts out, he's up in the northern region of of Israel, and he's up in Galilee, which is really far to the north. And he kind of does a lot of ministry there. And he, he's doing a lot of healing. He's doing a lot of preaching and teaching. And it's way up north. It's not very close to Jerusalem at this time. And then there's a point, a tipping point, and it happens in all of the Gospels, but there's this point at which when his disciples finally admit and recognize he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. Uh, Luke and Matthew, I think, are the two Gospels that say it, but it, it says that he then turns his face towards Jerusalem. So he looks south, and then he starts his journey south. And as he he heads from the north and gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, his parables get a lot more pointed, and he starts to kind of take shots 
at the Jewish leadership more and more, and it becomes more and more obvious the closer he gets. His popularity starts to wane the closer he gets to Jerusalem, except for the triumphal entry is this big kind of swelling of popularity, and then it dies down. And he he's almost kind of setting the timeline so that he is arrested, tortured, executed, all in this sequence of events that have to happen at a very particular time. And he's in total control of it, which it it's just crazy the way that it works out. And so as he gets closer and closer, he starts to do things that will aggravate and kind of instigate the leadership to take action. Mm-hmm. And so he's noticed the way that he is kind of calling out the scribes. He's like, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? What he's doing, he's, he's, he's saying they're wrong in a manner of speaking, right? He's, he's, it would be like you and your brothers like arguing about the best football team or who's going to win whatever. And you're like, how can you say that? Mm-hmm. Well, what you're doing is you're challenging that brother at that moment to say you're wrong in a, in a different way. And so that's what's happening here is he's calling out the scribes. That can't end well. Yeah. Especially if you're in the temple court in Jerusalem where the scribes have a lot of authority and have a lot of public sway or maybe even popular opinion. Like people just give them high regard, high respect, and don't question what they say. Yeah. And Jesus is questioning what they say publicly in front of all of them. Yeah. After he's just been challenged by elders, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, Herodians. And so he's had political and religious leaders just pestering him and coming at him. And he's been very successful. And then, and every time they come up to him and challenge him, he ends up making them look really bad. Yeah. So they're getting angry, more and more frustrated, but he's, he's standing up to all these different kind of assaults. And so then he goes on the offensive. How can the scribe say this? Which he's really saying, don't you guys see it? They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but he's saying it in a, you yeah. know, a nicer I, way. I love how, you know, multiple times, you know, like Again, we're looking ahead a little bit. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. And yeah. in, in 38, he says they they the Sadduc- or the teachers of the law like to walk around in flowering robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. So, to me, that's just always a reminder. Like Jesus came in, they they thought like he's going to be riding a white horse and in mm-hmm. armor and sword and this big you know six five jacked looking guy, which just <laughs> he wasn't. Right. And a lot of the people just believe these people because they look good mm-hmm. they're they're wearing they have money you know so they believe them but you know it's it's kind of a great reminder you know for us today where it's you know maybe god's putting people in front of you that that don't have all these things and and um, you know because we're we just gravitate we still to this day gravitate towards you know these high level celebrities or enter- entertainers and the money and mm-hmm. and the public eye and all these things it's like um, I don't know, just a good reminder that stuff's still going on today. Well, and I think to your point, what is the measure that we use to determine if somebody is worth listening to, worth following, worth imitating? What's the measure we use? There's a, there's a temptation that that measure is going to be, well, they're in a position of authority, so they must be right. Mm-hmm. Or they have, are successful, They've done well in their career. They made a lot of money. You can't get there without being right sometime. Right. And so 
I think, yeah, your point is, man, this really calls into question, who do we find to be authoritative in our life and right and influential and who do we allow to influence us and why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a great question. Mm -hmm. And who is the ultimate authority for us? Uh, I think on the last last podcast, uh, we got into, Parker had just talked about some of the stuff the Lord was showing him about fear of man and how that is a driver of, you know, the way that I use my money, the stuff that I buy, how I posture myself so that I will gain acceptance. And and so he's kind of wrestling through, do I fear God more or do I fear man? Do I care more about what God thinks or what men think? And, and something that you've brought up here is, here's Jesus clearly beginning to question the authority and the legitimacy of those that look good, sound good, have the right positions in society, and have he's the knowledge, yeah, all the, all the things, all the check marks. He's like, they're wrong. Yeah, and he's showing an illogical component of their argument, and we didn't get into all the nuances of their argument because we don't know exactly what he is, what they may have said that would kind of cause him to question. But we know that he is questioning it, and it has something to do about the identity of the Messiah in relation to David. And he's trying to show them that maybe what they thought was not exactly clear or right. And so he's trying to set it up to where he can then teach them what is right and true. And they can be in a place to receive that. How long ago did David die in this situation? Do you know? um, So David would have been uh, dead. We might have to look at that later. Maybe are we talking fifty years, hundreds oh, of years? Yeah, hundreds, yeah. maybe thousands. Wow. Okay. So he's been gone a long time. And what we we ultimately know on this side of the cross is that Jesus is that descendant. That's why when you go to like uh, the genealogies of Jesus, so in Matthew, you'll see it talks about the descendants leading up to Jesus, who is the descendant of David. Yeah. Uh, that you know, so he he falls in line with the prophetic understanding of who the Messiah would come from, yeah. and he comes from David's line. So pretty cool, good stuff. So when you wrestle with this, so you got this text, and we talked a little bit about it, but its significance for us, like how do we then, as two followers of Christ, go? Okay, here's a passage. How, I think I understand what it means. How do I live in light of this? How do I walk out this door and go around engaging with people, using my resources? How do I live in light of this truth? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the things that we always have to wrestle with, that it's not just theoretical, but I'm expected to go live because I've read the word of God today. And it should inform the way that I interact with people, when I interact with God, and check some of my own motives and heart. So what what are what's a takeaway for you? That is a great question. What is a takeaway for me? I mean, I think for I'll give you a little bit of time to chew on it, but something that you brought out is how how am I appeal or what authorities am I appealing to in my life and yeah. giving a credence and influence in the way that I live and prioritize time, money, attention. That's what I was going to say. I mean, the biggest, easiest takeaway from this is just to always come back to the foundation of, of Jesus. Mm 
of who I'm, you know, in the world that we live in and, you know, me and the brothers of being in the entertainment world in this industry, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a tough industry. Um, and just always coming back to Christ as the foundation and and giving him the glory and and asking him for guidance, you know, and not, not, and and fearing God and not man, you know, because it's easy Mm -hmm. to get caught up in what this person thinks of me, or this person holds the power and the gate to, to give us a number one song or make us successful or sell more, you know, clothing. It's like, it's just always coming back to Christ Hmm. Um, and not listening to, you know, the teachers of the law or the, 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 of man, you know, Amen. Coming back to His Word, Amen. What about you? Yeah, I think that's the same one. Is who, who do I unintentionally give more influence to, because of what I think they can do for me, or benefit me, or what, what am I listening to? So whether it's uh, in news media, and uh, music, how how am I giving a platform of influence? to things or people that are not Christ, but they they either have a position of authority or look like they should. And so, man, it just makes me kind of question some of those things yeah. and, and take inventory. So, yeah, good stuff. Well, I appreciate you being here, Tyler. I'm so stoked uh, to, to have you on future podcasts and, yeah. and begin this journey with me. This is super fun. If you're listening to this podcast and anything that we said stood out, uh, resonated, you had a question about that, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. And I, if you have a question for Tyler, I'll make sure he gets that question and has a chance to respond to that. I always like getting your emails, always like the questions and interactions. Be sure to comment if there's things here. The, the comment space is a great time for you to engage with each other as you take and read this text and wrestle with it yourselves and what you see, what you don't see. I'm sure many of you can probably give insight and have commentary on things we missed about David and the significance here. And we're willing to say, yeah, if we... We didn't come in prepared. We didn't study up on this beforehand. We just took and we read. And and so definitely we'll probably both be doing a little more research on David as well. But Absolutely. Uh, I want to encourage you, again, this, this is two guys that read the scripture. We believe it to be the word of God. We believe in Jesus and that he lived, he died, and he rose again physically and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. We believe that he is the only way that we can uh, ever have a chance to stand before God and before a judgment seat and and find a way into eternal life in heaven with the Lord. So this is what we believe. And so you've, you've you engaged with two guys that believe this to be true. You may be somebody who does not, and you're simply just reading the Bible because you think it's a good idea because it's pretty influential in the United States or whatever in your world. But we believe it, and I encourage you, if you don't believe it, to continue to engage with it and and ask questions and wrestle with it. Uh, because if, as you've heard from even Tyler's story, this is something he was exposed to at an early age, but didn't necessarily live by it. It had, had little influence on him directly growing up, but that's not where he stayed, that the Lord got a hold of him. And so and it's never too late to begin to engage in the scriptures and to make the Lord a priority in your life as he has clearly demonstrated his love for you through Christ Jesus. And so thank you for joining. Again, Tyler, thanks for being thanks. here. Thanks for I encourage me. everyone out there to go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. See you guys.